This is Global Greek Influence, primarily a technology, engineering and science podcast, but not limited to them, which delivers insightful discussions with global Greeks of different expertise that synthesize the picture of technology and its industry today. The Global Greek Influence podcast guests philosophical, artistic and social interests constructively and productively affect their professional skills and achievements. Similarly, engineers should be holistically informed on aspects surrounding their decision-making, planning at a professional level and research focus. In this episode, I'm with Dr. Ioannis Athanasiadis, an Associate Professor in Data Science and Artificial Intelligence with the Geoinformation Science and Remote Sensing Lab at Wageningen University in the Netherlands. His research lies on the interface of artificial intelligence and agri-environmental sciences, in particular on data-driven methods for agricultural and ecosystem service modeling. He is an expert in knowledge engineering, machine learning and big data and their application for understanding nature and feeding the world. Welcome to the show, Yannis. Thank you very much. Thank you, Yota, for having me here. So many interesting things you have done so far. Can you tell me a little bit more what knowledge engineering is? It's the process in which we try to organize our understanding of a system and make it explicit so that uh, uh, machines, computers can understand it. And this can span in different technologies, starting from more established ones like databases and uh, reach more smart systems, expert systems and artificial intelligence. I have to admit, I'm not really sure of what artificial intelligence does for us. But what I found mostly interesting is that you apply artificial intelligence in agriculture, which I find fascinating and really useful for the world. Now, can you tell me a little bit about big data and machine learning and how big data are helped by automation and machine learning? In the past years, let's say the past decade, uh, we have seen new technologies for sensing and collecting data from remote sensing and satellites to chip sensors to smart devices. So we are flooded with with data that come from, from several sources. And at the same time, maybe not, not by coincidence, I would say, but at the same time, what happens is a, a huge boom in artificial intelligence and machine learning, which has to do with how we uh, teach computers to learn from data, how we make, instead of giving computers rules to take decisions, they discover the rules on their own uh, from big volumes of data. So these two components have come together and, uh, and make possible new ways of, uh, of developing applications in a variety of fields. We have seen a lot of uh, progress in areas like uh, machine vision, natural language processing, and now we have uh, bots that are talking and understand what we are replying back 
or we have seen all these things with uh, deep learning and, and machine vision uh, and, and so on. But there is also several other applications that are less known to the um, in our everyday life, but they do affect our uh, everyday life. Huh? Uh, and, and my, um, how to say, my um, driver or my challenge is to see how we can apply this in applications related to foods and, and environment. Do we have big data in agriculture? We do and we don't. Uh, we have a lot of data in uh, coming from remote sensing. So we are taking, you can somehow consider that we are taking the pulse of the planets continuously through the, uh, all these remote sensing infrastructures. But also we have very big data coming from, from trials, from breeding companies who are uh, deciphering the DNA of, of plants and seeds and, and they use all this information for breeding programs. So the, the whole landscape of big data and agriculture, it's a little bit uh, uneven. So we have a lot of data. Huh? It's like you have two mountains on the side and a valley in, in the middle. So we have a lot of data coming from remote sensing and satellite. We have big data on uh, from genetic uh, resources, but we have uh, less data when it comes into um, uh, into management. What happens in the field, and uh, what uh, when we are talking about farmers' data. At the same time, there is an explosion in automation, and the big um, uh, agricultural companies have huge loads of data coming from automated tractors or for sens from sensors in, in the fields and so on. So we are, we are getting to, to the big data problems, not necessarily always from a volume point of view that we have a lot of data, but we have data that are characterized by variety or velocity, that they are produced very fast or they are quite diverse in terms of types. So we have data coming from different sensors, from different vendors, and uh, to hook all these up in order to make better decisions is a big data challenge for, for agriculture and, and, and the domain in general, yeah. So you applying your research, artificial intelligence and big data, not just to fit the world, as you say, but also to actually to avert climate change how can both be combined? Could, for example, this become a global plan by applying artificial intelligence and big data? Well, to be honest with you, it's not going to happen by data or artificial intelligence itself. We need humans and we need people to change their, um, their behavior and how they, um, they, they cultivate the land and how they produce foods. Uh, what we eat and how we eat, eat it. So um, it's no, I don't think that an AI solution will save the world, but I think it could offer us new pathways to make more resilient decisions, more um, smart decisions so that we can make take more things under account and address a problem which is highly complex. If you were asking me, is this a yes or a no? I would probably tell you it's a no. 
but I think there is a lot of uh, potential there to to sh to investigate new pathways uh, using technology. But um, despite I am even if I'm a technologist myself, I think and these complex problems require you require people for making changes. And, and this is not only a technological stuff, and I would also say it's not also a science stuff, but it's a more complex problem itself. And it requires to involve policy, it requires to involve people. Uh, however, I strongly believe that we're using AI and big data, we should be able to take better informed decisions. Maybe my question sounded a little bit naive, but I prefer to be straightforward to get specific answers. And Absolutely. Especially innovation is uh, a topic which uh, wherever is used always has the human factor in terms of accepting this new uh, technology or a new policy. I've spoken with different experts in previous podcast episodes and it always comes down to the human factor, the human behavior and the acceptance by people, by the general public of innovation in policies, in technologies and so on. Given your experience in projects of applying artificial intelligence and big data in the Netherlands and by collaborating with uh, farmers there, would you say it's uh, an easy process to employ such or to take your research to a larger scale? I think it's not a straightforward process and there are different type of um, um, stakeholders involved. So also when you're talking about farmers, for example, there are certain farmers who are really very uh, interested or motivated to invest in technology. They like it, and and the, but this is not going to solve the problem if you're working with a very high-tech farmers. Huh? Um, if we want to really have an impact, we need to, to see how technologies can become accessible and available for uh, the vast majority of farmers and also farmers in, in less uh, rich countries. So the challenge is not only how this happens in the Netherlands, which is still a challenge, but also how this could uh, could be uh, applied in other parts of Europe or in even in other parts of the world, because the infrastructure is not the same, the financial margins are not the same. So it's uh, a rather complex uh, landscape, I would suggest. Yeah. If you were asked to convince a Greek farmer to use artificial intelligence and big data, what would your arguments be to convince him? I don't think I can convince him, yeah? In the sense that if there was a very clear financial benefit, the farmer, Greek or not, is not stupid, yeah? So here we have a technology that doesn't work 
all the time because it's still under development and uh, it's not a proven kind of solid technology that we can say, yes, it works on every farm uh, and so on. However, I think that farmers who are experimenting with these technologies are becoming also more familiar with the potential. So we haven't reached a technology readiness level that this is a proven product and we can just uh, start selling it. But um, our farmers are increasingly having access to data. They ha they're using devices for um, uh, for geopositioning their, um, their their activities and so on. So I think gradually this will come, uh, it will become easier. Um, the other thing is that um, we need to also close the technology gap. So I think one thing is to have a, a solution that is working. Another thing is to have a product that is accessible to farmers. So I think a farmer shouldn't be using artificial intelligence itself, but it should use products built around uh, artificial intelligence. And, and, and there, because there are several technical issues that are very challenging, even for uh, experienced uh, computer scientists, how to uh, process data from different sources, what we were saying also before, huh? that because we have data coming from different sensors, uh, Internet of Things, satellites, um, how to bring them together and turn them into a product, I don't think it's something that's, uh, you would expect a farmer to do himself. But I think uh, very soon we will have companies who are providing this kind of services and advices to farmers uh, that will be tailor-made for you. So instead of having, so to give you an example, uh, what, this is more or less what Google does with the personalized search. So for the, exactly the same query, if it's me or you, we will get different results. So similarly, I think for farmer advice, uh, either it is the uh, crop calendar or when to fertilize or how, you, we will start going into personalized solutions that know your own risk preferences or development preferences as a farmer, but also your fields, your past performances, and give you uh, better advices. Uh, but we're not there yet in terms of, th this is not something we have realized. However, um, uh, we have various projects uh, where we are uh, investigating the potential of big data and, and machine learning for precision agriculture and, 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 and livestock farming. And uh, there is a lot of innovation that we see happening and being developed currently, and a lot of research that is still needed before making such solutions available for every farm. When I asked you my last question, I had in mind that the agricultural infrastructure might not be as strong uh, in Greece compared to the Netherlands. So having that in mind, I thought that maybe it would take a little bit more convincing a Greek farmer to use products of artificial intelligence. It's very interesting. Just before Christmas, I heard on the news the deputy minister of research and innovation 
mentioning in the Greek parliament that the government is very keen to promote research and innovation in the agricultural sector in Greece. So maybe this is an area that has not been yet investigated to be included in the innovation for the agricultural sector. Um, I, I'm not aware of this development, so I cannot give you a comment on that. But I think the Greek agricultural sector could benefit from data-driven optimizations, even if it's not necessarily linked to the farmer decisions on the field, but also on other things that have to do with the whole food supply chain. So uh, access to markets and, and better planning on how products will be delivered and when and doing some kind of uh, predictive scheduling and, and things like that could also benefit the potential of the Greek agri-food sector. So, uh, and on, yeah, maybe uh, very commonly in Greece, when we think of a farmer, we think of a, a very small enterprise, but we have also uh, very big enterprises increase, eh, or let's say medium, eh, not really big uh, in a global uh, scale, but uh, medium-sized enterprise who have a very uh, important role and they are very successful uh, globally or at least Europe, at the European level, either it is in the dairy sector or in, the, uh, in fisheries and so on. So it's not only for the small uh, farmers and uh, I certainly see a lot of potential. Yeah, but to give you an example, in one of the projects uh, we are working in in Cibel, uh, we have a Greek um, uh, aquaculture company in one of the case studies that uh, we are working, and they are using artificial intelligence to optimize how they feed fish and how they make sure that. Uh, um, the environment is not harmed around their fisheries and so on. So it's not that far away necessarily. And I, I certainly believe that we have both the talents and uh, the infrastructure increased to, to do very, very smart applications. As you said, in your research projects and what you do in uh, the academia is not just to apply artificial intelligence, big data and automation, in uh, producing uh, more sustainable food, but also to protect the environment. How could artificial intelligence for digital twins close the nitrogen cycle in agriculture? Um, yeah, this is um, something we are currently investigating in, in a digital twin uh, farm uh, project here in the Netherlands where we focus in, in Dutch farmers that have both arable and, and dairy activities and uh, nitrogen pollution and the nitrogen cycle is a, a top issue in the Dutch political agenda. Now, I don't know if you have heard of all the strikes of the farmers and so on, but we are facing a very political, uh, very interesting political debates about how we protect the, the environment uh, with uh, respect to the nitrogen cycle. And what we are trying to do there is to build a digital twin, which is a virtual replica of a farm and have 
farmers or policymaker who can evaluate their decisions or their strategies uh, in silico instead of actually implementing them in, in practice. So they can evaluate alternative strategies for fertilization and uh, minimize nitrate leaching or uh, take uh, better decisions by balancing their actions between the different activities they have on, on a farm. So uh, AI there can, uh, artificial intelligence can allow us to make better decisions with data from every single farm uh, rather than trying to have a representative, uh, an average farm, but then take the personal situation or the local situation of every farmer into, into account when we model the nitrogen cycle. Because all farmers are not the same and all farms don't have the same, exactly the same choices. How can machine learning assist sustainability and the aversion of climate change, which you often call environmental informatics? Aversing climate change is not a straightforward uh, path, as we said before, uh, before because it's, it, it involves complex, quick uh, socio-environmental systems and uncertainty in many levels. It involves humans and, and complex systems that we don't know how they actually work. And, and there, I think, artificial intelligence and environmental informatics could help us in several ways from tuning complex climate models uh, fast, faster to better understanding of the complexity of the systems invo involved and how we uh, quantify uncertainties, but also I, I see a lot of potential in how we are planning uh, our activities. So we, have, we are on this uh, big data train uh, anyway, uh, and we do have a lot of data and increasingly more data are becoming available. The challenge is how to enable these data in intensive scientific discoveries in the environmental and life science domains. And, and this is a new uh, science era, a new way of doing actually science named uh, the fourth paradigm uh, after Jim Gray, who was a, a Turing Award uh, winner. The Turing Award is the, uh, the Nobel for computer science. And in his vision of this new paradigm for uh, doing research, it goes beyond experimental and theoretical research, goes even beyond computational science, what we are actually doing now, where we use supercomputers and simulations for predicting how uh, environmental systems and climate change uh, might develop and, and go into a new era that requires new tools, techniques, and ways of working where data-driven discoveries will be enabled by new data-intensive research collaborations that go beyond disciplinary boundaries, and we can actually involve big data infrastructures, new sensing technologies, and artificial intelligence and machine learning into finding uh, answers together in, in, in these uh, complex uh, problems. My question was a little bit general, just because I wanted to make it specific later on based on the experience you have in the application of, of artificial intelligence and big data to agriculture and closing the nitrogen cycle in the agricultural sector. Uh, 
the reason I asked so broadly that question was because I wanted to see, for example, could this be applicable in um, sustainable engineering? Could this be applicable in new environments with gigafactories of solar farms, of wind farms, of uh, biomass farms, of biofuels, uh, industrial areas? This would be very interesting to do, as you mentioned, with the fourth paradigm. Instead of spending time to do experimental work, it would be highly recommended to follow the fourth paradigm and project to the future and build different scenarios before we actually realize plans, even in renewable energy, not necessarily in the agricultural or the environmental science sectors. This is the concept of, of digital farms, where we see, uh, which is an engineering paradigm that we have seen uh, elsewhere and uh, in other areas of engineering. And we try to bring it into the uh, farms and agriculture. But this, this is also what's, scientists have been doing in, in, in many disciplines, in many other disciplines. First, we had a twin. So to give you an example, this is what they were doing also, I think, in, in NASA before sending um, people to the moon, that they tried to create an artificial uh, moon environment on Earth before they actually sent them there. And I think this concept has gradually came into several disciplines where we try to uh, make these virtual uh, twins or virtual environments where we can assess our actions before we actually implement them in, in practice. And I think for the uh, environmental and agricultural applications in particular has a lot of meaning because we have only one earth to spare. So probably we should try before we take some uh, very important decisions. Human factor is important to innovation. What do the socio-environmental systems modeling need to overcome to compute and predict better human decisions affecting the environment? Um, as said before, the um, problems related to sustainability, uh, food productivity, food production, um, um, and sustainability development goals, they're all related to um, not only understanding nature, but how people interact with, with nature. And the challenge for socio-environmental systems modeling includes several uh, dimensions from bringing epistemologies together from uh, different disciplines, uh, from social sciences to natural scientists, uh, sciences to uh, computer sciences and so on, uh, but also other aspects like uh, understanding the uncertainty um, involved in the systems we are um, dealing with and our lack of knowledge to to certain extent. Uh, how we model and how we we tackle problems in deep uncertainty and how we combine qualitative and, and quantitative methodologies and data so sources. 
So integrating the human dimensions remains a challenge because of the inherent difficulties of uh, our understanding and modeling human behavior. How uh, we could tackle this is by leveraging new types of data sources from earth observations to social media. But I think this remains an open challenge how we integrate these kind of sources into socio-environmental systems research. You look into different uh, aspects of your research synergistically. So you do not only see the technological aspects of artificial intelligence, big data, automation, but also the effect of social behavior in integrating uh, such technologies or concepts of uh, informatics. In one of uh, your recent articles that you have co-authored, titled Defining and Classifying Infrastructural Contestation Towards a Synergy Between Anthropology and Data Science, you set the trends of the interruption and dispute of the soft and hard infrastructure in Greece between 2008 and 2017, which were the main years of the big financial crisis in Greece. Mm, I'm going to be a little bit provocative here, but could one say that the financial crisis in Greece could have been the playfield of speculators and opportunists? Well, mm, <laughs> I think this is a little bit um, speculative itself. Eh? So. Uh, in, in this work that you mentioned, we collaborated with a group of social anthropology in uh, the Free University of Amsterdam and Professor Talakoglu to digitize a, a vast uh, collection of sources related to infrastructural contestation events in Greece. So we, we followed a mixed methods approach that combined expertise from social sciences with more my expertise on data science to identify the trends of uh, interruption and disputes in soft and hard infrastructures in Greece during that period. But I wouldn't be able to say anything related to having Greece being the play field of speculators or opportunists. Uh, uh, there, are, there, there were changes in, in the infrastructural landscape during that period in Greece, and we have mapped them out. But um, looking at uh, why this happens is... Uh, um, probably something that I'm not uh, suitable to, to answer you to that. Yeah. This is a very responsible answer, which is not that often met because sometimes we might be tempted to even express an opinion when it comes to areas outside our field. But then I was thinking, when it comes to such type of research, studying the uh, human behavior based on data, could one say that, yes, based on my study, I can then predict the social behavior when it comes to changes of hard and soft infrastructure? Otherwise, such research outputs would be only regarding mapping behaviors and extending to such a type of research. This might be quite interesting to people of energy policy 
because they're the ones who have to deal a lot with human behavior and how well uh, energy policy is accepted by the general public. I don't know, to tell you the truth, but probably a lot of these things, well, I have no experience in in these kind of things myself. But what I I hear from the media, uh, what I hear in the newspapers and the social media and how people are influenced and how big social media companies have experimented with certain things, I'm a little bit concerned. But uh, um, I think there is always a good uh, and a bad side in every innovation. And there, I think we really need to have a responsible uh, research and innovation approach for uh, new technologies so that it benefits uh, um, everyone. Uh, It's good for humanity, not for uh, certain players uh, only. One final question, Yanis which is also relevant to the energy policy. And of course, this is not within your expertise, but I was thinking, how could the application of machine learning methods assist the integration, the adaptation of climate change policies as this cross-cut governments, industries, and societies? Well, yeah, again, um, I think that interdisciplinary science and collaborating with experts across several fields will be able to improve our understanding of systems, but also improve our policy. When I say our, I mean the whole humanity to understand climate change, mitigate and and adapt to it. In my opinion, machine learning and data-driven models have have already started becoming useful to assist to this direction. And I, I don't believe in single uh, discipline solutions. I don't believe in magic wands. Uh, I don't think that a single technology, either it is for energy production or for policy planning or optimization or whatever, uh, will, um, will magically save things. I think there needs to be a collaborative approach to tackle uh, these problems. And I believe that machine learning has a powerful toolkit that can become very useful and Probably it is part of our uh, of our response, but uh, we need to start working better together. Thank you very much, Yanis, for being here with us at the Global Greek Influence Podcast. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being with you. My pleasure, Yanis. I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did, and I hope that the Global Greek Influence audience will also enjoy it and will spark some interest to find out what and how agriculture can benefit from data science and artificial intelligence. Ioni spoke about remote sensing for big data in agriculture. Why artificial intelligence of big data alone cannot bring more food and avert climate change? but can help us make more informed decisions. 
how farmers can benefit from artificial intelligence and how these products will look like. Artificial intelligence and the Greek agriculture. How artificial intelligence for digital twins can close the nitrogen cycle in agriculture, machine learning and environmental informatics and the fourth paradigm of Jean Grey. If the fourth paradigm in research could be used in the renewables and more engineering sectors other than environmental informatics and ethics in innovation being informed by social behaviors big data. To listen to more Global Greeks interesting conversations, please subscribe, like and comment to the Global Greek Influence podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts and four more podcasting platforms. You can also follow and make your suggestions to the Global Quick Influence Podcast Twitter and Facebook accounts.